Welcome to the Marshall Pro Podcast. In your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and our pals at torontomotorsports.com and finally Bell Racing Helmets USA. And you know what? We're going to throw in one for this week that means a lot to us as well because it means a lot to one of our dearest, dearest friends, the French fry to my hamburger, that being Sebastian Bourdais, knowing that his Cart for Kids charity, ninth year this has been going on, is taking place this week in the run-up to the St. Petersburg IndyCar season opener. If you are a fan of motor racing memorabilia, you know that I am. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff there you might look after. You might try and take home signed things from Alexander Rossi, Will Power, Marco Andretti, Sebastian seemingly emptied his closet of every racing suit and glove and boot and jacket and you name it, ever. Uh, a lot of great stuff there. I think there's, I don't know, 50, 100 items. So, uh, cartforkids.org, or if you want to just make it easier, head to my Twitter page, at Marshall Pruitt, and I think I've tweeted out the specific memorabilia link, but if you also just want to help this initiative where all the proceeds go to the local Johns Hopkins Children's Hospital in St. Petersburg, well, that would be a mighty fine thing to do. Speaking of mighty fine things... We have the man himself, IndyCar CEO, Penske Entertainment President, I think, is the new title that's been added. Mark Miles, he'll be our guest this week. Going to record that tomorrow. It is Thursday evening at about 8.22 p.m. California. And we're going to get rocking and rolling here pretty, pretty quickly. Mention something that is the most meaningless news item in the world, uh, but just reiterating because I been getting asked a couple times per day i will not unfortunately be in st petersburg uh, or barber i'm hoping long beach next month will be my first race back uh no exact guarantees but definitely won't be there this weekend but trying to help report from afar what else comes to mind that might be of real value or interest? Hey, look, our friends at Carlin Racing have wiped the one TBD to be determined off of the entry list. We now know, we now know all the names, all the characters who will be driving at the Sunday race at St. Petersburg. We finally know who they are. Felipe Nazar confirmed in the number 31 Carlin Racing Chevy. So, yeah, can't wait. Can't wait there. That that's going to be it's going to be cool. It's going to be strange watching St. Petersburg at home though because I I mean, I think the last time I wasn't there was I don't know, like 2006 maybe. It's been a long time. So, I don't know. I guess I'll get to see what it's like uh watching that good old race from home. Uh beyond that, man, been trying to crank out a lot of stories this week. Not maybe the most traditional items, just the things that I find interesting. I know that a lot of folks do full season previews with every team and every driver or cover off stories about, hey, here's what the champion thinks about coming back. And those are good stories. Don't get me wrong. They just don't interest me. So I haven't done them. So 
I think I've filed about nine stories, eight or nine stories so far this week. A couple of them that I uh, fired in here just a few moments ago. That'll go up tomorrow and Wednesday. I've got a bunch more, plus some podcasts to put up, plus, yeah, more stuff to do. And anyways, all good stuff. Boy, though, life gets busy when IndyCar finally comes online after a long, overly long off-season I don't know. I think other than mentioning who is the most recent winner of the love pack, that's what we're going to call it. The love pack from torontomotorsports.com. I think that's the last little piece of business. And then we need to get right into your questions. Uh, There's a lot, which is great. And thank you for that on our listener driven show. Otherwise it'd be really short. Uh, Thank you for those. And I am probably going to try and mash the throttle pedal as much as I can and get as far as I can tonight. Who knows? Maybe I'll get all the way there. Thanks once again to Tim Falkowitz for putting those together. Our winner, the way we do this, the question from the previous week's guest episode, as posted on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page, the one that gets the most likes, well, that person gets a free T-shirt, free stickers, free other stuff. Uh, related to the show from torontomotorsports.com. And there were a couple people that had the same number of likes as our pal Jerry Sudduth. But Jerry, your question was called out by Mario Andretti as his favorite. So, I mean, we can't go against the man now, can we? Your question, Mr. Andretti, could you tell us what it was like going between between tracks like Spa? I was about to say between this is my polished, unpolished turd. I can't even say that right. This is my unpolished turd of a show. I make no... I was going to say mistakes about it. I make no apologies. I Seriously, I've only had water and coffee in the last hour. But it's maybe I used vodka for the creamer in my coffee. I don't know. Uh, Jerry said... Mr. Andretti, could you tell us what it was like going between tracks like Spa, Frank Orchon, and Monza one day to Sacramento and Salem the next? How did that help you improve as a driver? Those are the words that Jerry wrote that a moment ago my mouth refused to produce. But... (sighs) (laughs) Thank you for coming on this journey and my many highly visible flaws... Uh, so Jerry, uh, send me a DM here. I know I got your email address, but send it to me again. We'll get you connected with torontomotorsports.com. I don't know over the last couple of years. What is this second or third time you've, uh, you've won, whatever it is, man. Um, just really happy to take care of you. Cause you take great care of us with questions every week. You come out to the live shows and you're just a, yeah, super appreciated. Like all of you who helped make this a thing. All right, Jerry, thanks again. And let's go. Let's do it. I don't. I wish I should have some sort of like really momentous momentum, momentum, momenti, momentus music to go with that. But I don't. I just have our little music bed here. I don't know. Give me some ideas. What should I do? I have no clue. Uh, we're gonna go with our pal Jim Kaiser, the man who delivers haiku to the week in IndyCar. He says, "So stoked for the start of the start of the season. It was worth a bonus haiku." Jim writes, after six long months, they're finally back on track. Life is good again. Enhance enjoyment. 
of the MPP podcast. Listen at half speed. We've got haiku in our show. Huh? What? I'm flexing. I know you can't see it, but I'm flexing right now. Thanks, Jim. Uh, let's go to Ryan Terpstra. Never heard of you before. Uh, kidding aside, thanks, Ryan, for being our spirit vegetable. I think that's what I decided. He says, so uh, there's a race on Sunday. Who's driving the number 31? Now, granted, you sent this in before today at, what, uh, 10 a.m. California. Uh, you sent this in beforehand. Uh, so, but I still wanted to read it because it's been a while since we've, I think, had to ask this question of a full-time team. And I might have mentioned it last week, but usually this was the domain of Dale Coin Racing. So I, I feel bad that Carlin Racing, still in their relative infancy as a full-time IndyCar entrant, struggling to find folks to populate their second entry, which needs to be paid for. And I did note that in the press release today, I don't recall seeing anything, Ryan, that said Company X or whomever is paying for this. So I wonder if this is something the team is doing out of their own pocket to make sure that they fulfill their leader circle obligation. So that's just a bunch of me supposing things, but yeah, you hate to hear when a quality team like Carlin, who's been very quick, still maybe not having all the pieces in place. So along with this question, Couple others, Bryson Frank, Stuart Arith, inquiring about Sergio Sete Camara. Uh, let's see, where should we of your various questions? Uh, mentioning that now that he has signed with Red Bull as a reserve and test driver, where does that leave him with regards to IndyCar? Should we assume that Dr. Marco from Red Bull would place him elsewhere? Or is he still in the running for a Carlin seat, the second Carlin entry? I don't know. My initial thought was, well, uh, I, it should, because um, if that would be the exact formula used with Pato Award last year. Signed with Red Bull, and they kind of sort of placed him over here a little bit, but then yanked him and put him elsewhere, and there you go. Uh, I don't know. I heard from a really good guy uh, who I communicate with somewhat regularly in europe that's why you are r-u-p spelled in american uh that mr kamara's funding's not been super happy uh to do say another full season of formula two uh another full anything so i don't know what i would just say based on the Words spoken and unspoken and action seen last year with Pato when he was in a not as strong as, you know, reserve and test driver. He was a, you know, Red Bull, young development driver, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, the dropping that person off in, in IndyCar with Red Bull paying for it really didn't seem to be something that interested them. Obviously, Pato had an arrangement with Carlin already. And I guess whatever personal funds he might have received from Red Bull would have been great. But, uh, I mean, they d certainly didn't stand in the way uh, for a while, but then did decide, all right, well, now actually we want to send you over here to see how you do. Uh, my just guess is if they did want to get Sergio some additional miles, uh, since reserve and test driver is not something that involves a lot of actual 
turning left and right and braking and accelerating on a physical racetrack these days. Uh, could it be? I don't know. Could it be Super Formula? Would there be a need? Is there a belief that Camaro would actually need more training? I don't think so. So this all comes back to... I don't know if Sergio's interest in IndyCar is going to be realized beyond that, what, hour or two that he had uh, on the second date Circuit of the Americas during spring training. Let's go to... Let's go to Jerry Suddeth, who just won the little uh, love pack from TorontoMotorsports.com. And I wanted to put this up top because we often, on my unpolished turd of a show, try and delve into something a little bit deeper to kick things off uh, in the first couple of questions. And so Jerry asked, Marshall, what driver or team most needs a good race at St. Petersburg? And I like this, love this, wanted to grab this because i did actually put some thought into this jerry uh last night while trying to fall asleep i don't know probably around 2 two thirty in the morning and i failed because i could not find the answer to your question as it was written which driver or team singular what i came up with was a long list and hopefully most of it will come to me again here and so here's let's get going so and i'm just scrolling down the a to z team owners list so aj foyt stands out on one topic as needing to have a strong saint petersburg i would say obviously there are a lot of other races this year that they would need to be strong in it's not as if st petersburg is a singular event that they have to ace but they are starting a year long honestly i think of it a bit like of a a presidential campaign type deal they're hitting the campaign trail they just lost everything that paid for what they do at the end of 2019 i know abc supply is coming back to support one car for the new 500 i get that but the folks are writing a big 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 check for two cars they no longer exist the team no longer has independent corporate backing that has come to the team and said we see value in you we are giving you 10 million plus to have our name on both cars. That's gone. And so while St. Pete is one of 17 races, I think of it as the start of a season-long campaign, Jerry, where they need to demonstrate from the outset they have learned and improved from their shortcomings, their failures, poor decision-making, hiring practices, you name it. This is a race that is going to be important in terms of setting the tone and demonstrating aptitude to then use as something to court new sponsors. Another quick little sidebar here on the Foyt side, particularly as my cat Rocky jumps up on the backside of my chair and starts licking my hair. Thanks, Rock. I'm not completely sure, Jerry, that the A.J. Foyt team has all the super funding to make them just feel warm and basking in the glow of uh, 
if not excess, just we got everything that we need. So we have Dalton Kellett, who's funding the vast majority of the number 14 entry. He'll share with Sebastian Bourdais and Tony Kanon. Tony has sponsors coming in for his races. Uh, Charlie Kimball is bringing sponsors to the number four. That's awesome. Nonetheless, the team is now reliant almost solely on drivers bringing the budget, and I'm not 100% sure they're 100% full on what they need. So this is going to be a big demonstration. If they can start well, if our French fry can qualify well, race well, I don't care what it is, if he can start somewhere in the fast 12 and finish somewhere in the top 8 to 10 range, that's going to be really darn good. Do I think he can do better? Absolutely. But this is an important weekend for them because if the pace shown in testing doesn't appear and they're having to play from behind and start wondering what or where did we go wrong, uh, they've had too much of that and just need a clean break to demonstrate we are better and we are starting this year-long campaign to get corporate America to pay attention to us and invest in us for 2021 so we are not prone in having to accept the budgets brought by drivers unless we want those drivers and their budgets. Say Andretti Autosport, certainly in a situation where... I mean, there's only one driver that needs to show something, and that's Zach Veach. That's known. That's well known. I got a podcast with him, a catching up with episode to post here shortly uh, in the next day or two, and he talks about mindsets. I I love his, I love where he's at and what he grasps about how first year worked, second year didn't what was lost in that second year and what he needs to reacquire uh, in his third year, the third and final year of his contract with the team and his sponsor. The relationship between himself and his young race engineer in his second year of IndyCar race engineering, Mark Bryant, that is something that I think has a lot of potential. So youngish driver needing to demonstrate some of the flashes of brilliance in year one weren't just a fluke, plus a young race engineer who I reckon is going to be a badass. Rough majority of his rookie season working with Marco Andretti, but once he switched over to Zach the last four or five, however many races it was in 2019, we definitely saw something. So again, Does Zach need to win St. Pete or even finish in the top six? No, but I'm telling you, if without major problems and without any major mistakes, he comes home 14th, comes home 15th, and it's just strictly because he wasn't there, the car wasn't there, and the the approach was off, uh, I will worry. We actually talk about that, too, in the podcast. What happens if things don't work out to start the season? How do you protect yourself from crashing mentally? So, yeah, I'm going to be watching Zach. I think many of you who care care for the kid and think he 
you know, bring something really good to the series. I think there's going to be a, a lot of us who are, you know, privately cheering for him uh, to have a strong start to the season. Arrow McLaren SP, better known on our show as Spam. Hmm. This is the one that intrigues me more than many coming into this new season. So since the question was specifically about St. Pete, I don't want to put the bar too high for them. Uh, Craig Hampson, one of the biggest acquisitions by any team this offseason, and that includes drivers. <laughs> Sorry, some driver, some of you drivers, but Craig's actually... Uh, far more valuable of an asset to this organization than some of the drivers uh, who changed houses and went to other places last year just simply hasn't had enough time to really look at what they do say no here yes there, double that cut that in half etc so the the hampton imprint is not going to be seen at saint pete it will be seen mid to latter stages of the season so that just tells me I think we're going to see some capable cars for Pato and Oliver Askew. I don't know if I want to put them in a really high, high place, though, of, yeah, if they aren't in the fast, if both aren't in the fast 12, it's a failure. So we're talking about, right, what do they need? What what do they need to have for a good race at St. Pete? I think just to, I think to get through clean would actually be, a really successful thing in my book. Oliver, as a rookie, has a lot of things to do for the first time. Hot pit stops. Uh, just how's this? Being the king of nine Indy Lights cars, it's not as if that isn't tough. Going out in a field of 26, where we could legitimately say 20-ish, 22 are kind of murderers, um, that's going to be different. The kid is crazy talented and just absorbs pressure like you wouldn't believe. But I think for Oliver, the real goal coming out of St. Pete is to finish the race and provided he and Pato can finish to be right there or almost right there with Pato. I think if there's a minimal gap between those two performance wise, that will be huge just let's be fair here and we we raise our hands on the weekend indy car we've nicknamed thanks to you all oliver gq he said he needed a nickname so we came up with gq which stands for a great question which is his response to almost every question you sent in here recently oliver's still a bit of a question mark within his team right there's a belief that this kid's special but it's not as if he drove for uh Aero, SPM, and Indy Lights. I mean, they haven't had an Indy Lights team now for a couple of years, but it's not as if he came up within their own system and he's a known quantity. Uh, he's someone that they believe as Indy Lights champ and as someone who's been amazing so far on the road to Indy, brought to you by Cooper Tires, that there's huge potential. He's not quantified, though, within that team as being that guy. Pato, they've seen him. They know that kid can drive. They know he is fireworks. Oliver, uh, again, he hasn't even done his first IndyCar race, so it makes sense. But it just say 
that to me, Jerry, looking at that team, both cars finish. If they're both quick ish, great. As long as they can finish the year, have some points to build off of and say, cool, we got through it. I think that's a, just a really good step for those two in the organization. But in particular, if Pato isn't quick, folks will know based on what they saw last year, that's the team. If Oliver isn't quick, I think that's going to be, again, something where folks just won't know where to place that, how to judge that. So if Oliver can end up either right with Pato in qualifying and practice or maybe ahead, who knows? But running in tandem, uh, I think that's actually going to do some really big things for his stock internally because folks don't know how to value that stock. Carlin, we already touched on a bit. Uh, Felipe Nazar, yeah. If they can carry over what they did at Sebring and testing, man, this is going to be awesome. Uh, Really, I'd say there's no driver at St. Pete, Jerry, that has more pressure on him to perform than Felipe Nazar. If you're wondering, what? (laughs) The guy's only signed for one race. How is that pressure? He's got a full-time job in IMSA. True. This is where Felipe has wanted to be for years now. Coming to IndyCar has been his dream. It's not as if he wouldn't go back to F1 if a good seat was there. But truly, since 2017, he has been trying to find his way in. I know because, I mean, I can't tell you how many conversations he and I have had just privately about what do you know, what teams are out there, who might I call. I mean, we've spent a lot of time on that exact topic. So I'm just trying to vouch for him. This isn't just, oh, cool, I got an invite and I'll go race. This is something Felipe has been fighting for behind the scenes. Now he's got it in the uh, finest tradition of Marshall Mathers. He's got one shot, at least that we know of, and is a super stellar weekend for Felipe going to get him hired by Roger Penske or Chip Ganassi or whomever? No, not today but it will absolutely bait the hook of curiosity. Uh, We know, as we've discussed on the show before, Honda, between the two engine manufacturers, sees itself as a bit of a talent spotter. And I know that Felipe is driving for a Chevy-powered team this weekend, and they see him competing against their Acura factory Daytona prototype internationals in IMSA with him in the Cadillacs. So they've seen that guy... They know how quick he is in sports cars. Just saying, if this guy can truly stand out as a holy crap type performance with just truly limited mileage in an Indy car, which I know he's capable of doing, uh, he's going to be doing himself some favors longer term. And who knows? Maybe Carlin invites him back if they don't have someone else to pay for Barber or wherever else. So, I'd say Felipe's really the one with the most on the line, just from an internal standpoint. If he doesn't get the call back, he goes back to his day job as he was going to from the beginning with IMSA in the Action Express racing team. But here, ah, boy, uh, it's either a really standout weekend for him or nothing in terms of creating that future he wants. And that's, that's tough. Uh, as for Max, Max Chilton, 
he seems to be in a really good place in his approach and his expectations, which makes me feel like there could be something something good for Max. Max has always been a motivation guy. If he is on the boil, if he is fired up, you know it, you see it, you feel it. It's maintaining that fire from round one to round 17. I realize he's not doing all the races, but it is just something that gets lit and stays burning bright. If he can do that, I got to believe there's something pretty darn good uh, that he's going to be capable of achieving this year on the road and street courses plus the Indy 500. Let's skip down the list. Chip Ganassi Racing. No expectations for Scott Dixon. No vast needs for Dixie or Rosenquist. Those two are going to be just fine. Marcus Erickson, very similar position to Oliver Askew. We saw him last year. Looked like there were some positive things to build from. Didn't happen as often as we thought it might. The team likes him. The team really thinks that they are stronger for having him we're going to have to see how he values his own stock within that team if dixie and rosie uh if dixie and Frozenquist are eight spots ahead of him in qualifying and there's no again discernible reason why there should be that kind of gap uh, yeah i think we're gonna have some questions starting early as to the value Marcus does or does not bring. And that's not necessarily a team that sits around and waits for someone to continually prove their value kind of in or out there. And do I think Marcus is capable of being super close to Dixie and Felix? Yes. Do I expect him to beat them on raw pace? I don't, but that's because I we haven't seen him yet in a front-running IndyCar. So he's another stock value guy. Let, uh, but knowing how merciless Chip is when it comes to those who drive for him, uh, there is not a lot of time on that clock to prove he is equal or close to equal to his teammates. That guy needs to show at St. Pete that he's got something to hang Dale Coyne, Alex Pelu, no expectations. I think he's going to be a real shock this year, as I've mentioned. Ferrucci, though, yeah. Um, he was a wee bit faster than Alex at Sebring in testing, but Alex had the upper hand at Coda. And the guy, again, is coming in as cold as could be. I would say St. Pete's going to be a really interesting judge, Jerry, of how this Judge Jerry versus Judge Judy, uh, of how this dynamic plays out. So you subtract Sebastian Bourdais, the 40-year-old recognized team leader. You have the kid in Ferrucci who called him dad and yet was faster than dad a number of times last year. And so now by subtraction, Santino is the air quote team leader. He's the guy with a whole year of experience, you know? Uh, Yeah. So, therefore, he's the, again, air quote, team leader. It's going to be interesting to see if and how Santino is able to actually 
nail that concept into the wall and make sure it's a permanent fixture. I wouldn't say St. Pete is a place, one and only place that would happen. I would tell you, though, Jerry, that if Palu is faster and or racier, which I could flip a coin right now as to whether that will happen, it'd be really interesting to see if Alex indeed has the upper hand in race one as a rookie. I would put the odds at at 50-50 of that happening. And if it does, what does that do to a guy who just, air quote, became team leader and yet gets demoted race one by a kid with, again, just as coming in cold with almost no miles in one of these cars after uh, his one-year veteran teammate had what everyone, myself included, said was a stellar, super high, overachievement rookie year. So that's a dynamic to watch for sure. No expectations for Ben Hanley and Dragon Speed. They just haven't had the miles to be competitive. Uh, same for Dryan Reinbold uh, with Sage Karam. I mean, they've had more or less zero miles. Looking at the Ed Carpenter side, Connor Daly. I think Connor's going to be quick, but if we're talking proof, you know, I, I guess maybe we're getting into a couple of scenarios here, Jerry, where we're talking stock value where do you place it heard me repeat 20 times over the last couple of months how renus is my sleeper of the year that team though the team behind the drivers they got something to show they've got something to prove from an engineering standpoint unquestionable talent there so again it's not a question of talent it's a question of R&D. It's a question of development. It's a question of where did you invest your money and has it delivered the kind of performance gains needed to play with the biggest teams. Uh, that's where I hope we see the biggest demonstration of year-to-year change. Uh, do I think Renus could be in the Fast 6 right away? Yes. Do I believe that in order for that to happen, there's going to need to be a complementary upgrade in year-to-year engineering setup-based pace? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you drop him into a Penske and or Ganassi car, we're not even having this conversation. I expect that kid to be top six everywhere as a rook. With Ed Carpenter racing, knowing that they've needed to find some gains in this regard, that's where I'm looking hard. Uh, how the team collectively with Connor and Renus happened to do in uh, in practice and qualifying and obviously the race at St. Pete, Jerry. That's the, that's the indicator I'm looking for. And if it's not super pretty, uh, there's going to be some concerns about what might follow. Tell you, though, again, just from the routing standpoint, I'm hoping that it is all good and all clear. All right, we are moving on. We're moving on. Where are we moving on to, though, Pruitt? Huh? Touch on Meyer Shank Racing, Jack Harvey, Andy Listis, his new race engineer after Mike Colliver returned to AJ Foyt Racing. There's nothing that these two need to do at St. Pete, Jerry, but be on the lookout. Jack was really 
impressive at times last year with Mike. Andy is considered by many among the fellow race engineers really is the, the next guy, the coming coming man who is going to step up and make a name for himself in race engineering on the IndyCar level. So, yeah, just something to keep an eye on. Uh, I'm not sure how well Jack will do. Again, I don't know. I expect really good things. St. Pete isn't a pressure point for them. But if we do see things start out strongly on top of the great and ready Autosport link and technology coming their way onto that car, chemistry between Jack and Andy, uh, that's going to be something I am watching, hashtag me personally, very closely throughout the year because I think that might be something special. The Ray Hall team, tell you, maybe after Felipe Nazar, I would say the driver with the most pressure on him to have a great, not good, but great start to the year is Graham Rahal. And there are a few people, there might be nobody more frustrated than Graham about the lack of results that he has had in recent years. I mean, finishing 10th in the championship last year, not the end of the world, but not memorable. He was 8th the year before, which was good. But if you look at how things have gone, we are talking about 4th in the championship, Jerry, in 2015, 5th in 2016, 6th in 2017, 8th in 2018, 10th last year. What does all that mean for St. Pete specifically? Well, it's not as if Graham was terrible in the opening stanza last year. St. Pete, he was 12th, so again, there wasn't a lot there. But, you know, 4th at Coda, 4th at Long Beach, uh, 9th at uh, the Indy GP. I mean, there were some pretty good points hauls there. But I'm telling you, the, the age that Graham is at now is a fully grown man someone who is a serious veteran of IndyCar now, uh, even just at the age of 31, there's grace period is no longer there. It really isn't. I would just say that there is a significant need for Graham to have a really strong start to the year. That's maybe overstating the obvious. What I'm not totally sure about is chemistry things did not seem to be super super clicky as we had hoped on the race engineering side last year uh even the year before would again there's been a number of changes there i'm hoping that year two uh with him and alan mcdonald pays off in the way that they want but This team has some fairly phenomenal sponsors and partners. They do a lot of business, bring a lot of people in, and we know Graham is capable of winning two, three, four, maybe even more races per year and being in the top five in the standings every year. That's why being adrift, being winless for a while, yeah, there's some baggage there. There is some... some monkey on his back and their back jerry that they not only want need to rid that's the obvious part but i'm concerned that if saint pete is not a competitive affair 
I fear that it's going to feel like a continuation of last season, and we might be headed towards bad things. So no question Graham can do it. No question the team can do it. What is needed? Is there something chemistry-wise? Is there something R&D and technically-wise that's off? I, I can't put my complete finger on it. It's one entry of all the guys that really need to have a turnaround season where I don't know of many things to say, aha, they did, they're doing this vast thing totally differently to affect change. So that's why I've got a little bit of a question mark here. Uh, boy, Graham doing well, though, I think would be huge for the series. A grumpy Graham? Oh, boy, that's, that's, no one's happy. No one is happy. So hoping for happy times. Um, after that, yeah, not, I'd say not a lot else. Team Penske, obviously, those guys, I think, are going to be okay. I've heard they're not bad at IndyCar. Uh, kidding aside, Jerry. There are actually a couple of points here we need to look at. Newgarden, nothing. Uh, that guy, if he doesn't win the championship, big surprise for me. Will Power, again, our, our beloved buddy Will has had some very fluctuating performances of late. And he's always there or thereabouts. Fifth, third, fifth, second, third, something in the championship been a little while though since will really made it look like he was just taking heads to start the year it's been a while granted he's been on the podium many many times to open the season but it's a difference between being on the podium and making a real statement that you're going to be the guy that things are going through to get that title i don't know how many more of these opportunities he will have this is not a, a weekend to start off poorly. I'll just say that um, because I don't anticipate his rivals are going to be adrift. The Rossies, the Dixons, the New Gardens. Uh, Will having to play from behind and catch up uh, it usually isn't a good look. So this is seriously. Uh, Will is in the top three, top four of folks that I would say truly are looking at St. Pete as a, man, if this doesn't work out, this could actually kind of upset things a little bit for the rest of the year. Uh, last one, Simon Pagano. Still need to find out where he's at contractually, uh, if he's done at the end of the year contract-wise, if he might, you know, who knows? There are certainly the questions we've been posing for a while. I think he's going to be in really good shape. Uh, conversation he and I had between ourselves, or what, mid-February maybe, just on the mental side, which I'm hoping he and I are going to actually capture that same conversation more or less on the record here in a day or two for a story. If his, if his mental approach to this upcoming season bears fruit, this guy might be a terror. So I think he'd be less susceptible to a bad St. Pete, Jerry, but... I would also say that a very strong St. Pete for him could actually cement a really impressive run towards a second championship. So I guess rewinding quickly, 
Uh, Ed Carpenter Racing on the R&D front need to show us something to show us that their drivers can compete uh, with the big teams. We know that they have the driving talent to compete. We know that they have the engineering talent. But again, every team picks and chooses different paths on what to develop, how to do it, where they think performance gains can be found. And uh, we never have a case where all the teams pick the right path. So that's one we're going to be watching for sure. Felipe Nasr among the drivers as individuals, I'd say it's very much a make-or-break weekend. Uh, if he is slower than Chilton, if he makes mistakes and hits stuff, I know folks will understand he's a rookie, but he has enough mileage that those things would not be expected. Uh, he's going to have to have a super clean, super fast weekend to really get folks to say, aha, this is a, a diamond that you have uncovered, Carlin. Thank you. We are going to want to take him off your hands. Again, we don't necessarily have anything this year, but thanks. We're going to we're going to sit down and have conversations uh, Monday morning with this guy, Graham Rahal. Yeah, that is a cycle that has to be broken. Uh, that is a team that needs to be quick with him, knowing that Takuma Sato uh, he has demonstrated that that guy despite being as old as he is, what, 42-ish or so, 43 maybe, uh, 43, good Lord, showing no signs of slowing down, and he and Eddie Jones and just his engineering makeup altogether, that side of the program is one that we know is ripe for surprises, having won two races last year. Now that he only finished, quote, only finished, Ninth in the standings, uh, which really wasn't all that far ahead of Graham, get that point. But nonetheless, uh, Takuma's the guy we aren't surprised to see get to victory lane right now. Graham, sadly, and his number 15 car has become the, yeah, it's been a while. What's going on? Is there something truly wrong there? I, I don't know if he can, I don't know if he can really deal with another year of that question being posed without it sinking in the wrong way so those are the main thoughts uh power is another one a little bit on on the bubble jerry but i can't wait to see how this plays out but getting back to the main premise here there's a lot of teams with a lot of things the foyt folks for sure they're auditioning they're starting that audition to get someone to come back or for the first time, pay for their racing again after losing ABC Supply. So there's a number of teams that are, honestly, uh, although they will tell you it's first race of the year, it's one of 17, you know, come on. They're all equally important, except for Indy. Uh, some of those folks would not be telling you super truthy things. All right, we're going to go to Ed Joris. Is it my imagination or have the Hondas seem slow in testing? Uh, if you look at the numbers, Ed, you might draw that conclusion. Got a call from HPD, Hunter Performance Development President Ted Klaus this morning. Had a good conversation for an article coming here soon on the upcoming manufacturer wars and a bit of the balance being tipped back in Chevy's favor, knowing that Honda's won the last two manufacturers championships. I would suggest that Honda has been very mindful 
about engine longevity and knowing that the rules now include penalties for going beyond your four engines provided in the lease, so on and so forth. Manufacturer points are not counted if you go beyond four. Drivers pay the penalty. The manufacturers pay the penalty. I would suggest that there has been a strategy, one that we may or may not have discussed this morning. Yeah, he It was on the record, so it'll be in the story. But he did say, Ed, that they are being very purposeful in how motors are used now and will be used throughout the season from a standpoint of achieving the 10,000 miles of combined usage across those four motors. So is that dialing back a tiny bit? Is that being a little bit more safe in their usage preseason? I would say absolutely yes. Would I say Chevy is not doing the same? You know, are they the only ones doing it? I'm sure they aren't. But I do know that if we're looking at a tiny bit of lacking speed from the Hondas, especially considering how highly developed these motors are and how there's almost seemingly nothing left to find in terms of of real significant gains, I think you might have seen and we might have seen a lifespan strategy in the works. Uh, Let's just go to Cody, DW12, and also Jeff Grimbowski, going to... Grab both here, similar topics. Cody says, last week I asked about Andretti's plan for Kyle Kirkwood, and I'll admit I jumped the gun on already calling him the 2020 Lights champ. My bad. Well, again, I'll be surprised if he isn't the champ, but, you know, there's some other talent here too, for sure. He said, that said, how excited are you for the light season and the other Road to Indy series? Well, that's a really easy one to answer, Cody. I'm super excited. Uh, And it has nothing to do with the fact that Cooper Tires, the largest supporter of the Road to Indy, is also uh, our show's oldest and most enduring partner. Nothing to do with it. It's just because I spent the vast majority of my career working on Road to Indy style cars and championships before the Road to Indy existed. So it's just been part of my lifeblood since I was 16 working in the SCCA Super V Series, worked in the Formula Atlantic Series, uh, USF 2000s, Formula Fords, uh, Indy Lights across two generations, one or two generations of those cars. Three, no, yeah, boy, all right, I'm forgetting. Um, It's just, I spent five years working in IndyCar. If you add in everything I did beforehand, plus some of what I did after IndyCar, working in Atlantics and engineering some Mindy Light stuff and blah, blah, blah. I don't know, probably 10 or more. So, yeah, man, like that's the thing I love. The feeder series, the kids, the growth, all of that. I am not able to burrow in as much as I like from round to round uh, because my clients say, hey, that IndyCar thing, that IMSA thing as well. But in this particular show, that IndyCar thing, uh, folks like that, do that. So that's where I focus most of my work product. But yeah, uh, I love, 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 love me some road to Indy. Uh, Jeff says, MP, I understand your schedule is unpredictable this season. He says, do you plan on having any interviews with road to Indy drivers this year for the show? He says it made watching the support races in Portland last year more fun. 
having recognized a few names from the podcast. Funny you should ask. Absolutely, Jeff. So, been waiting for the season to get going to kick that off. Would say that while there are a lot of kids on the road to Indy, uh, I didn't want to burn up months during the offseason using all of them because, hey, let's get the racing going. And because I've always looked at the feeder series as a merit-based thing, uh, I'm a big fan of, hey, you just won last weekend, let's talk. Or you had a breakout performance last weekend, let's talk. And it's not as if being on the show has any value or it would be considered a reward, but I do, again, associate with Road to Indy visits that you know if you just finished ninth, in your second season of Indy Pro 2000 at St. Pete, love you, you ain't getting a call. Because, you know, this is meant to be something where if we're going to spend time to have you on a show where probably folks might not have a clue who you are, let's at least have something that says, follow, watch. When you get to Portland, Jeff wants to know who you are because you're demonstrating you could be on the way up that ladder and hopefully uh, interviewed as we've done with many young drivers. Heck, we've had Oliver Askew on the show multiple times, Kyle Kirkwood, etc., as they're coming up. And I can't wait to have Kyle on the show when he's an IndyCar driver. Uh, same with Colton and Pato and some others. Again, I only started the show in 2016, but going back a ways, it's really cool to know that when some of these guys were in Pro Mazda or Indy Lights, now we get to interview them as IndyCar drivers. So that's kind of my mindset, Jeff. We're absolutely going to be doing this throughout the season. And once we get to the season finale, I plan on doing individual episodes as we did this year in Monterey with the champs at all three levels. And we're just going to keep giving them more love because they deserve that love. All right, let's go to our pal, Jeremiah Morell. How are you doing, Jeremiah? Please say hello to your incredible wife who puts up with uh, you. And I have a wife who definitely qualifies as putting up with me. Uh, Jeremiah says, I see the John Andretti autobiography is going to be released. I posted a story about that this week on Racer and our pal Jade Gerst, the person who worked with John on that autobiography, sent me the full book, the full manuscript in PDF form. And although I only included a couple of snippets, yeah, it's it's really, really worth buying when it is available. If you're a John Andretti, like a real John Andretti fan, I think it's going to hold significant value because it is written in it's written in a way where it it lands like John is having a conversation with you there are some autobiographies written with a professional author where the driver's phrasing personality as expressed through words gets lost a bit in the name of polish and professionalism and slick wording and not that those are bad but they're a little bit neutral to me they, they don't stand out as like ah 
I can hear the the person's voice in my head while reading their autobiography. John's and reading through uh, the manuscript, boy, it is like having John sitting there telling you the stories in his very distinct way. So, yeah, uh, I look forward to that. Jade said he doesn't have a timeline for when it will be ready. Um, will it be May? Will it be afterwards? Getting approvals on a lot of things right now. So didn't have a timeline. Uh, I asked for, well, where would folks look for it when it's ready? He didn't have that. And so I just said, uh, would please urge you to check out at Jade, J-A-D-E, Gers, G-U-R-S-S, on the good old tweeters and follow him there. And just as a sidebar, uh, his first name, Jade, uh, which I love, uh, I pronounce Jarday, like the singer whose name, if you read it on the page, could be Sadie or Sade, but she pronounces it, or it is pronounced Charday. So with Jade, well, he's Jarday to me. Uh, you say here, you asked, are you still planning on releasing a John Andretti special edition podcast similar to the Big Eagle edition? And the answer to that is, uh-huh, absolutely 100%, no doubt, no question. I still have, I believe, two interviews to complete that series. So I got work to do. Uh, but my plan is to have that edited and ready to go at Indy, month of May. Not sure on the timing, but I would assume that it'll be probably once we get started started leading into the race i don't know uh leading into qualifying weekend i'm not totally sure i truly haven't thought it through but it's a lot of work that i have to do that's not a bad thing it's just a time consuming thing that's going to take me a while uh to do things in chunks uh let me see i'm just looking through the list of interviews that i have so far and i might have read these to you also i apologize if i am wasting your time here uh let's see the folks that we have so far on the docket enders crone bones boursier brian herda dave wilson davy jones dennis reinbold Derek walker eric wensberg jack clark jeff burton jim busby jim hall the second mario andretti mike curb and i've got robin miller queued up who uh, i need to interview and Peter Barron, and then looking at the rest, who else do I have here? Kyle Petty, I think is the only other one that I didn't mention. So, yeah, there, there's a good number of interviews that I've done so far. Let me try and count this here. Uh, so, yeah, I've got 16 interviews. I think it's going to end up being about 18. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to reach out to his to john's brother to include him but anyways um yeah looking at this just trying to see how if i can if my computer will allow me or add up the amount of time um whew, all right about six hours and nine minutes so far and again that's with no editing so there could be a bunch of stuff to clean up or just dead space in there but yeah, fair amount of time, Jeremiah. So uh, all that is good, 
and I just need to start getting to work on this. And what I've been doing, for those who might like meaningless factoids, is I just finished editing uh, Who the Hell Are You Season 2, and I will say here hello to my favorite listener, David Cook from Wisconsin. Thank you for calling my sponsors. Um, Did most of that editing, if not almost all the editing, at physical therapy a couple times a week with my wife. So I'm going to try and get into that same role here to edit these. uh, And yeah, get these done in time for May. So there we go there. All right, we are going to... Where are we going to go next? We're going to go to Alex Conger. Marshall, are there any concerns for the extra arrow screens needed at Indy for the Indy only entries? Seeing that Dragon Speed missed spring training due to them not having delivery of their screen, he says, well, due to all the full-time entries, um, do they all have a backup arrow screen already bolted on their backup cars? Yeah, it says thanks. Uh, To my knowledge, as I've been told, and this could be completely wrong, the process was primary cars first, backup second, and then the Indy onlys after that. But I would guess there might be a jumbling of the Indy onlys into uh, the backup car program because, as we know, getting Indy entries ready with the body fit and everything else that goes into making the cars super extra beautiful and perfect, that's not something you're going to want to push into you know you're not going to want to push that late so for all i know that part's been done and it's finished if not i would say that there's probably some that uh you know are going to be getting done here quickly but also knowing that we have team some teams that have uh, as you kind of rightly infer here alex who have their road and street course cars they have their special speedway via speedway chassis that only gets used for that um those are not teams the teams with the speedway only hot rods that are beautiful and perfect and polished on i can guarantee you they would not allow them to be turned around and done in march or april so uh but i'll have to ask about that and see if there's any specific timeline to things uh to offer for an update uh okay guy shall not says could the next indycar chassis have a bit of power steering such that drivers with hand controls who need to control gas and brake uh with fingers and thus cannot hold onto the steering wheel as easily as others and maybe females who may or may not be quite as muscular so they can compete equally well we open up a little can on the last portion there guy um would say that as simona de silvestro demonstrated uh during the highest downforce era ever of indycar ever that women can indeed control these machines because going to the gym and working out and putting on the muscle to do so is something that women can do just like men uh and i'm saying that a little cheekily i know there was nothing bad intended by the question here but uh, uh as someone who watches his wife do things that would humble men on a daily basis myself included from a physical standpoint and strength and endurance and otherwise uh yeah i would say if we're talking someone who's super tiny 
five foot one and 80 pounds, I'd say that human being, male or female, not destined to be an IndyCar driver, but would say that if anyone from Takuma Sato, Zach Veach type diminutive stature can go into the gym and put on the muscles to get up to, what did Zach say, 130, 135 pounds? That was the big, oh my gosh, I'm swole type number for him. And he can manhandle an IndyCar. I would say that women of similar stature could put on that same muscle and woman handle an IndyCar. You know, the power steering thing, I get it. Could it be something if needed for a driver like a Robert Wickens who might want to compete with assistive devices? Do I think IndyCar teams would say yes to hand controls? Absolutely. Power steering, I don't think that would be approved by anybody because even though Robert would, in theory, or someone in Robert's situation without being able to use their legs to work the pedals at the moment, needs that much assistance, uh, external assistance to drive, I think that's where team owners would say, yeah, but you're going to be fresher than my guy at the end of the race or my gal at the end of the race. Uh, You're not going to have to put in the same amount of work. So, no, we're going to veto that. I will just share with you over the last six, nine months, ten, however long, uh, I have seen a lot of folks like Robert who are having to push and fight every week to not just regain control of you know their lower extremities or whatever extremities, but for the parts that are unaffected, the muscles, the parts of the frame that are having to compensate from a physical mobility standpoint. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit, bit crazy to see someone like Alex Zanardi, for example, whose hands are more muscular than like my neck. <laughs> He's got more muscles in his hands than I do in my thighs. And I'm exaggerating, but you see the insane grip strength and the explosion of muscles that have taken place with Alex from his shoulders, biceps, triceps, everything from his shoulders down to his fingertips. That's all as a result of an adaptation to not having the other parts that are functioning. And so at least as my sensibility falls here, guy, if Robert is going to get back behind the wheel, completely expect hand controls in lieu of using his feet. But the physical strength to turn the car, the core strength, the upper body strength, those are absolutely things, to my knowledge, that he can build up so that while strapped into the car with his body held in place firmly, he would have the strength and ability to do everything he needs without power steering. Uh, Let's go to 
You know, Robin, Robin Crickman sent this in. I don't fully understand it. Uh, and I'm sorry. And that's my failure. Um, send your question in about gas X and Bino being a sponsor on Simon Pagano's car. Um, Kevin DeVries says, Marshall, you fielded a question a few weeks ago that asked about the newest Toronto pit lane configuration. And he says, after the hotel was put up and also that, uh, what the little historical artifact site as well, I believe, a, a old timey ship, uh, something, I apologize. I'm not, if it's something really, truly sensitive, I apologize. I'm not trying to be dismissive. I just don't remember other than there was a thing, um, found there during that excavation to build the hotel uh he says i was about to submit this question earlier he says i read your article about the uh, green saver promotion folks and pit stall limitations this got me thinking since they already have the uh the street shut down is there not room to push the racing surface to the far side of lakeshore enter the pits after turn two run the pit lane parallel with lakeshore straight uh he says then uh you could still have paddock access if they made the indy paddock where the hospitality and porsche and nascar uh series have been the last few years um you know i would like to think that lateral thinking could be a good thing here so uh, there was a suggestion i believe it might have just been said straight up as a fact that when there was the hotel going up and we're going to hey this is going to disrupt things so we're going to have to move to the other side but once the hotel gets done we're all going to go back uh asked and was told yeah that we know that was said but that's not happening so going back to the old pits i'm told not an option your idea seems like a really sharp one and if it just means teams have to paddock differently or even if they decide to stay in the convention center right now and just have a longer tow uh, to and from um i guess that wouldn't be the end of the world i'm a little bit unclear knowing how the backside of the uh the lake the long lakeshore drive goes there I'm not totally sure where grandstands would be set up uh, drivers right or left uh, i'm not totally picturing it in my head and i've walked you know been there a ton of times walked up and down it many many times so that's my failing a little bit kevin but i do like the idea of hey let's stop trying to pack 10 pounds of bleep in a five gallon pit lane um i just don't know if the thoughts have extended to your idea which at least as it falls in my head sounds smart uh let's go to alan bandy <laughs> MP, if a particular oval on the schedule, which is over a mile in length, decided to stage a cage match between two series drivers to put more butts in seats, who do you want to see? Alan says, hashtag me personally, the official hashtag of the Marshall Pro Podcast. You know, and, and thanks to one of our listeners on our Weekend Sports Car Show who created a jingle for our fake sponsor there, Shoes Hammer Emporium, if anyone has a musical talent to come up with a little very quick hit hashtag me personally jingle to drop in uh, I'm, I'm not saying it wouldn't get used um he says hashtag me personally i think will power would be scary fearless but i'm not sure who would be a good matchup with him see powers again we know he's a punchy guy we love him he's been hit too many times in the head we believe one of the reasons he's so amusing um kidding aside 
Who? I'm not totally sure. I would actually go with Will. Um, who am I thinking? The cage match here in the cage part. That's important. Huh. All right. So I would say a very early candidate would be James Hinchcliffe. No. <laughs> Sorry. Just kidding. That's a little preview from uh, season two of Who the Hell Are You? Where Hinch is indeed one of the guests. He he's detests fighting. Most amount of protesting I've heard about fighting offered from anyone during season two. Who would I put in a cage match to settle things? Yeah. Huh, huh. All right. Connor Daly would be one. Okay. He just wrestling background. Not the world's biggest guy, but low center of gravity. American. I mean, he would just have the blood of, of flying eagles. Uh, blue thunder coursing through his veins. He'd be swinging. Um, that'd be fun. That'd be very, very fun. Who would go next, though? Who would we put against Connor? Charlie Kimball? No. Uh, love ourselves some Charlie. But, yeah, he, he'd have to be, eat some tainted avocados and hope that some sort of virus strain turns him into a mutant. Uh, yeah, and I'm looking the, down the list, and I, I love these questions. I love the nonsensical questions. Truly, some of them, though, are a little bit hard to answer because ones like these, yeah, IndyCar isn't necessarily chock full of the bruiser knockout types, uh, although it sure would be fun if they were. Who do we pair with Connor? Again, I'm struggling here. Uh, I mean, Brits are pretty, pretty proud folks, but we got a lot of guys that would probably lose a pillow fight. Uh, Jack Harvey strikes me as someone who might, might be able to uh, throw down. He's too pretty though, right? Um, he wouldn't get any more commercials. Huh? Wow. Of the full timers, I'm struggling to get a number two. I mean, Sage Karam, again, wrestling background, that's kind of the obvious, put the two wrestling guys together, there you go. But if we're talking about putting butts in seats, at least one needs to be, you know, Connor has a, a great, great following. Who could we put in there, though, There, where we would say, all right, that's going to be on ESPN. And it wouldn't just be, uh, you know, taking a lamb to slaughter here, right? I mean, like Newgarden, I love the guy, and he's kind of an athletic guy, but yeah ain't happening there maybe it is a power i gotta believe we can do better than that all right again I'm, i know i just said we got to get someone with you know a high profile to help with this to help sell it uh, i'm gonna go a little bit off the script here not being a driver who are we gonna put in who are we gonna throw in that would help actually put butts in seats and get folks paying attention maybe get this sucker on yeah, again, all right, it's not going to do the butts and seats from a, a name recognition, but it's just, it's going to be the best. Michael Shank. Oh, yeah. And, but here's the thing. This is all of a sudden the hashtag beer me cage match. 
because we're going to get a couple drinks into Connor. He'll probably show up with a couple in him already. Shank, we know, as he says every time on our podcast, if you're at Indy, come over to the, the owner's lot and I'll go after the day and you'll see me have a beer. I'll be drinking. Uh, get a couple of beers in these guys. And, you know, Shank told me, yeah, he, he he's he's not unfamiliar with uh, scrambling a little bit with folks uh, after a fun night on the town. I realize I'm failing my, my criterion of, like, name, high name recognition, but Connor Daly and Mike Shank, that would be a cage match I would want to see. Uh, let's go to Connor Clankenbeard, MP. We all know how amazing and legendary AJ Foyt was at Indy and across different types of cars. One thing I haven't heard as much about is his history as a road racer. Can you speak a bit on the road racing resume and acumen of four super techs? Uh, and he says, you and your wife continue to be in my prayers. Thank you, man. So I got a chance to watch AJ in the very latter stages of his career, maybe the last 10-ish years. And I know this, he possessed the kind of general driving talent that was more than almost anyone. So we know just in talent allotments, (laughs) AJ Foyt's in the top one percentile to ever live, ever drive. We know that ovals were his specialty. We know that on road courses... Uh, he could also be effective. We also have to acknowledge that he's not someone who ever professed a massive love for road racing. There were times where he surprised, right? This is a guy who won the 24 hours of Daytona and the 24 hours of Le Mans, but I'm mentioning Daytona and someone who famous story about being thrown into the car, Porsche 962, wicked IMSA GTP machine. Uh, We're talking the mid-80s here at Daytona, and the car he was driving broke, got moved over to a sister car with Bob Wallach, regarded as one of the greatest sports car drivers of all time, road racing royalty in endurance racing. Bob was the biggest dick in the world just like ever. So he and Foyt, who has a similar reputation, um, you know, two hard-headed guys. And Bob had no time for him, didn't want him, didn't know him, figured he was just some old geezer from going roundy round. And then AJ climbed in the car and (laughs) absolutely threw down and just talk about stunned silence for Bob. Now, I realize that if we're talking names, A.J. Foyt, that's something that anybody who's heard of motor racing over the age of 15 knows. Wallach, not the case. Very specific person in a specific form of racing. But at least at that time, that Bob would be considered the A.J. Foyt type name and status at the 24 hours of Daytona. That's how big Bob was. And for Bob to go from totally dismissing this guy, we're going to lose because of him too. He did what? (laughs) Um, That was super impressive. So I'll just say here, Connor, that we have a case where, of course, the vast majority of AJ's victories 
are going in circles, variety of vehicles. We do need to acknowledge, though, that AJ was a talented road racer. Not at all times, but there were times where he certainly measured up with the best. Got to acknowledge as well that in speaking with my dear and many of our dear departed friend, Dan Gurney, whenever he and I would discuss the victory at Le Mans in 1967, where he and AJ shared for GT40, he would often preface whatever he was about to say, if it was for an interview with the things that I, the things that I'm going to tell you up front or say up front about AJ at that race in that car, that is not something I want to see going into print. He said it to enough people though, that it's just become far from a secret. So I don't feel like I'm betraying something that's never been said, but their win at Le Mans was something that Dan had to absolutely guide and to get AJ to fall in line with his usage of the car, how it was driven, brake usage, so on. This was a managed partnership, this two-driver rotation for 24 hours, where Dan did the majority of the heavy lifting, but AJ was also a huge, you know, significant contributor but without dan being the person to actively manage aj and how he drove that car they don't win they don't finish the race so this is 1967 though if you look at all the lessons that aj got all the aptitude that he picked up he got to a point where he could certainly be highly effective as a road racer. Would just be honest once again, though, in saying I can't think of many, if any, situations where uh, we're talking about going to a road race and everyone is fearful of A.J. Foyt being the person to dominate the weekend. Uh, let's see. Where do we go next? We go to Chris Albrecht. You've got one here about IndyCar drivers uh, non-Americans becoming American citizens. I don't have a good answer for you. Um, I apologize. This one here, Kyle Donnelly. I've actually written a little blurb on this for season preview-y type stuff. You ask, what happened to all the Brazilians, Marshall? In the 2000s, it seemed like Brazil was in an unstoppable force in open-wheel racing. I'd back it up, man. Uh, that was the 1990s. I mean, pretty much from the moment Emo, Emerson Fittipaldi, showed up in 84-ish, but he went full-time in 85. I mean, we've had an unbroken streak across, whether it was Kart, Champ Car, the Indy Racing League, or the modern NTT IndyCar Series. We've always had at least one full-time Brazilian, and that streak has come to an end this year. Um, he says, now our two most prominent Brazilians may be running their last Indy 500s, that being Tony Kanan and Elio Castroneves. And it doesn't seem like there are any coming up to fill their shoes apart from perhaps Felipe Nazar. Is this a product of being two generations away from Senna hero worship? Or is the financial support for Brazilian drivers gone or what? 
He says, what sort of strategy can be put in place to try and recruit more talent from Brazil? As I understand, Kyle, it's two keen things here, unfortunately. One is economics. Just not not as much money, really hard to find money to pay for IndyCar seasons in Brazil. But also, and as I understand, TV is not as stellar as it once was in terms of reach in Brazil. So if you turn off the ability to generate big, meaningful traffic or eyeballs, sponsors are going to have fewer reasons to pay for the Felipe Nazars of the world to be in IndyCar. Granted, you look at Nazar and IMSA, he's being paid by the team to drive. Knowing how IndyCar often works, where you have drivers needing to bring money, that's where the cycle has been broken, and broken badly. I don't know how it gets fixed. I truly don't. Uh, It's worrying, because I've spent pretty much my entire adult-ish life with Brazilian drivers as just part of our culture and history. And I hope Nasr goes full-time. That'd be amazing. But I do have questions as to whether something beautiful is going away here. Um, I'm going to take one more tonight. It is 10, 10 p.m. I realize that the time might not add up from when I said I started to where we are now. I've had to take a couple breaks to handle a few things at home and edit those out, those dead spaces out. But... Brian, I'm going to take your question and then hit pause, and then I'm going to try and finish the rest in the morning. And where are we at time-wise on this episode? Uh, We're not quite at an hour and a half. We're at an hour 25, which I'm feeling pretty good about. we got a fair amount of questions this episode, like a fair amount. Not a surprise. Starting the season. you got a lot of questions. So uh, we'll see how many I can get through tomorrow and try and keep this in or around not too much more than two hours. So let's go with tonight's last from Brian Kroll. It says, hello, MP. Hey, Brian. I'm a huge fan in Portland, Oregon, and have only missed one race here going back to Little Al's when in 1984. He says, we're entering the third year of a three-year contract, and I'm wondering how secure are we on future returns there's one thing that I think could help attendance here is to bring back the free Friday that was a staple during the cart days. Because I have many friends who are interested and would probably get hooked if they had the opportunity to sample it, but are scared off by the ticket price and fees so they never get that sampling. He says there are only so many I can bring on my own dime, but I could bring quite a few and show them around if that barrier to entry were removed. So quick note here brian i took your question and sent that to my friend ec mueller who is the good old manager of portland international raceway haven't heard back from him but wanted to forward that straight to the man uh granted he is not the promoter of the event he's the guy who runs the track uh the uh what is it green savory i think i don't know uh, who runs the thing um but I sent this on to EC, haven't heard back. Now I'm thinking, because sometimes thoughts fall into my brain later than they should, uh, I might forward this on to our friends at Penske Entertainment. And granted, I think this could be a really good thing for them to consider pretty much every race. 
we're at a, a stage where also i should mention here we are almost an hour and a half in and have we spoken about the coronavirus i don't know i really don't want to but um it provided uh viruses don't knock out races here this year or years to come we are uh, we got to acknowledge we have been in a place where we certainly need more fans i know indycar has been improving in that area every metric is seemingly going up doesn't change the fact that we still need a lot more fans and a lot more new fans of whatever age you know i know they want millennials they want the youths they don't want um those of us who are older whatever um new fans in general though they there's a vast need so your idea here i like that i don't know how it would work maybe you all could send me some ideas is it penske entertainment is going to make i don't know what the number is a thousand tickets available uh for friday of every you know non-indy 500 type event um but hey we're going to make these available you know to air quote new fans i know i don't know how you prove that exactly but um i assume that there could be ways to try and help this maybe folks could sign up say hey you know i'll be and maybe that's it maybe it's an indycar ambassador program where folks like yourself brian you know air quote register whatever it is with the series and say hey uh i can bring five people on friday can you send me five passes i'll buy my own but uh maybe that's something but the bring a friend type deal whatever it is man if we could bring a thousand people who've never seen an indycar race to the track at at least no ticket price um gotta believe that's a pretty smart thing that should be enabled here so i'm going to forward this on to our friends at penske entertainment and see what they might think all right i'm hitting pause i'm hungry i know fat guy's hungry surprise uh it's 10 15 thank you all for your awesome questions i will be back here hopefully in the morning we've got mark miles and that podcast to capture katie hargett and i are capturing an indie lights season preview and I think, time permitting, our dear pal Lee Diffie is going to help me, and we're going to do a bit of a season preview podcast. I'll probably lean more heavily on him because y'all listen to me share some thoughts on uh, earlier about make or break, who needs things to go right in St. Pete, and I kind of used some general season thoughts in there. So uh, we'll see. Lots of topics, though. And if nothing else, we just want to keep over serving you with content to get ready for the new year. I'm going to go have some new dinner. Talk to you tomorrow. And we're back. And, well, technically I lied. Stopped recording at whatever time we did Tuesday night. Said I would be back tomorrow, and I missed you by nine minutes. So picking this back up, uh, nine after midnight here on a thursday morning into we're now past the 16th hour of work today uh it's been a little bit busy you might have heard hey coronavirus yeah boy amazing how much things can change in boy not so long 
Sebring, the week after St. Pete IndyCar, we know that the FIAWEC is no longer going. I expect to hear that IMSA will be either postponing or canceling the 12-hour. Robin Miller did speak with Roger Penske tonight, who gave us some great quotes at Racer about things still going forward at St. Pete. And I was texting with Mark Miles tonight, who told me the same thing before uh, RP connected with Robin. So, as of right now, um, everything's a go, as planned, despite travel bans and everything else. But, as we continue to see, hard to say if or what might happen before cars turn their first official laps of practice Friday morning. So, yeah, boy, uh, I have just done the thing that I really don't like to do, but I need to do, which is drink a little bit of coffee. Uh, super late. Hi, Rose. And our cat, Rose, decided, you know what? If I can party this late, so can she. Uh, where are we going to pick up on questions? I-, I probably could do another hour and a half worth of questions. If I were to get to all of them, I'll be really honest. I don't think I have it, friends, because I got to be up at 7 a.m. for an interview with Simon Pagano because, you know, he's restricted on time. I agree, Rose. That's a little iffy on Pagano. Paint me into that tide of a window, but whatever. Anyways, kidding aside, where should we go? Uh, Nick Dovniak, by the way, thank you for the really sweet note that you sent me there. Um Let's see, you got a bit of a long question here. Talking about progression of safety. Talking about how documented it was, the dangers of the sport, uh, especially through the 90s and such. He says, the big takeaway at the end of a documentary about the progression of safety in F1 was at the end, there had been only one death in F1 since Senna's. He said, I did some digging. The numbers of major injuries in the series has been pretty low since then in no small part to ongoing significant improvement to the safety standards. He says IndyCar's track record is not the same with several fatal accidents and many more major injuries caused in the same time frame. Uh, You ask, has IndyCar's ongoing efforts to reduce costs come at the expense of driver safety, especially considering the significant risk the drivers take on ovals? Uh, Should not a higher safety standard be sought? Um... How's this? I hear you, Nick. Uh, I I know that that could be the conclusion that was is drawn. I would say that until the decision was made to go with the arrow screen, whatever that was, a year ago, um, we did have the Halo, which what it came out what was it twenty eighteen? I think twenty nineteen. Maybe I apologize. My brain's a little bit fried, but. If we're talking similar time frames, Nick, I would just say that really there's very much apples and oranges here. Yes, fatalities in Formula One have been greatly reduced and in no small part because of their escalating safety standards. Would say IndyCar has also 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 good lord also been on the path of escalating safety that has saved I can't even tell you how many lives and the things we do tend to be at higher speed if we're talking the super speedways and certainly more dangerous with as many cars packed together 
so closely. Just going to throw a couple things out here to help, and this isn't defending IndyCar. It's just trying to give some context that might be lacking. We have spec vehicles here, and because of that, you could say is it because of costs? Maybe, but I would say also the the budgets to do really individualized cars and all kinds of things really hasn't been the case for a while here in open wheel. Um, If you look at what we have, which is a common chassis, uh, very tight rules, very tight everything, that's the thing that's going to leave a lot of cars closer together than, say, Formula One, where while there are some cars that run closely together, you can see in particular, we're talking ovals primarily, if we're talking fatalities in IndyCar, uh, we can say that you know, formula decisions have contributed, right? Pack racing and the follies of that have certainly not been favorable. Glad that we've gone away from that. Uh, there's been a fluke, obviously, with one of my best friends on the planet, Justin Wilson, being killed. Uh, that was a fluke. We know that if the aero screen had been in place year, you know, back then in 2015, then, you know, we're confident the big man would still be alive. And there have been other fatalities as well uh, since the uh, 1990s time frame you mentioned. But I would say it has not been alarmingly horrendous, just numerically, just looking at math, very cold uh very cold way of looking at it by the numbers yes uh, indycar has had you know three four however many exact deaths it's been compared to one so that is a much bigger number would say though that you know this is not something that has me feeling super alarmed as rosie now jumps up on me and digs her claws into my shoulder welcome to my life friends we obviously wish the number was zero. Duh. Obvious statement alert. For what we do at the speeds we do it, I would just say that, of course, the number should always be smaller, but I think we are in a pretty darn good place and have been safety-wise. Could we have gone to an arrow screen sooner, earlier? Sure. Could F1 have gone to their halo sooner? Sure. Could many things have happened sooner? Yes. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Uh, <laughs> hindsight's amazing. I'm not looking at IndyCar and saying, boy, they've been behind the curve. They have actually been pretty darn proactive and made a lot of sweeping changes whenever needs are identified or justified concerns are expressed so i'll just leave it at that right we we have cars because we don't have the budget of formula one teams we go with a common chassis teams can no longer afford multiple chassis options why well as we've seen one is going to be inferior to the other and that means that teams are going to have to migrate to the successful chassis in order to survive and keep their sponsors and drivers. That is what happens, has happened recently in LMP2, where they allowed four constructors 
to build to very, very tight rules. Well, even though the rules were tight and meant to make it almost impossible for failure, guess what? One brand stood out as better than the rest. Guess what? Virtually every team that bought the other ones have had to now buy the most successful one. The majority of those teams did not have the ability to do that right away. In IndyCar, we certainly do not have that ability across more than half of the teams. So while I would love to go back to multiple chassis, it's not really an option. This is the the mindset here, sadly. So we don't have that money. Therefore, we need to go with a common single chassis. We need to have rules that are very close for the engine manufacturers, so they're super close on power. Everyone's on the same tire, etc., etc. You end up having cars that stay pretty darn close to one another on super speedways. We've paid the price for it. More a function of survival than just true cost-cutting, though, I would say, Nick. Let's go to where are we going to go next? I'm going to pick and choose a little bit. Uh, Don Gregory, here's one I really wanted to get to. How is the progress for the 2022 chassis coming along? You ask, will there be multiple manufacturers? No. Uh, can we see designer renditions of what the proposed designs will look like? I don't know. Uh, IndyCar does straddle the line between trying to be super fan friendly, uh, but also. You know, there's just some business of their own that you know, not everything is meant for public consumption. So I don't know, Don, if this would fall into that category. On the 2022 chassis, the thing that I continue to hear, and I want to dive into more to find out if it's real, is I don't know if we're going to get a new car all at once. I keep hearing that things might come in stages, all back to what I just mentioned with Nick. On the topic of costs and mitigating big expenditures all at once. I'm going to take a sip of coffee, by the way, because my voice is starting to get hoarse. I tell you, I think I've recorded four-plus hours of podcast today. Eh, yeah, my voice is pushing back a little. I think what we might see, Don, if the, the rumors that I'm hearing are correct, Team owners would not buy a brand new Delara DW22 that just shows up as a rolling chassis and they drop a motor and go play race car. I think we might see stages. So in 22, you might buy one part, one major part. 23, maybe the next major component. 24, maybe another major component. Um, Bit of a time delay swap out so that teams are not having to buy the whole thing at once. Knowing that in 2022, we're going to have hybrid engines, which we do expect the lease prices to go up for sure. Uh, Let's see. Alan Saters, more of a question, more of a statement than a question. Please work on replacing the LED panels on the cars. I think all the fans loved having the access to the information displayed when it worked properly. Bring back the LEDs, please. Uh, Yeah. I know that there's no plan whatsoever for that to happen right now, Alan, but they do hope that with the next car, that that could be a thing. Uh, Paul Davis. Hey, Paul, you quoted some amazing numbers for the increases in activity for your podcasts year over year, putting aside for a moment, the impact of yours personally talent. Do you think this increase is part of an overall increase in interest for IndyCar in general? 
going into the 2022 season. Well, uh, the cool thing is we've seen, and by we, I guess me, uh, we've seen a per episode increase in traffic. And since I do sports car stuff and IndyCar and what uh, in-car sounds and ambient sound features and interviews with a variety of people, not just IndyCar, um, I'd say it just looks like more people are becoming aware of it and more people are listening to what we put out. Not everything gets a bump, but by and large, it just seems like uh That's a general thing to offer. Would also say, uh, certainly the IndyCar content that we post tends to be the most uh, listened to, the most trafficked. So no question, Paul, that IndyCar stuff is certainly the go-to consumption item. But I am pleased to say that uh, sporty car stuff and interviews and whatever else, those are doing good business too. So I think it's both, maybe. Let's see. Dan Tenoff, just want to give you a shout-out to the quality products made available at torontomotorsports.com. He says, when I wear my This Week in IndyCar on the uh, Marshall Pruitt Podcast t-shirt, there's a big change in how I'm seen by my significant other. To them, I'm no longer a big doofus with no sense of style. I'm now a proud doofus. With a questionable sense of style. See, we've gone for no to questionable, all because of us. Oh, Dan, we're so proud. Thank you to Toronto Motorsports and uh, in the MP podcast. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, now, in a more pressing manner, rumor is it that the Commander-in-Chief will attend the Indy 500 and do parade laps at speed in The Beast. But he will call upon only one American to do those driving duties. All right, a little bit of breaking news here. That great American who will serve his country that day is Joe Tonto. Man, you're you're getting me here, Dan, with the scoops. I was hoping to save that for others. Ryan Terpstra as well. Thanks for uh, a really kind gesture today. Private one. Uh, Seriously, Ryan, that that was was a really sweet thing. Um, MP, this was inspired by the idea of my week in sports cars co-host Graham Goodwin spotting someone uh, for the SRO a sports car organization and cornering them to get an answer about production production levels for GT3 cars. He says, what predator are you when you spy someone in the paddock who has been dodging you and what method of transportation do you use to keep them from running away? If they spot you bike, hoverboard, Segway, golf cart or roller skates, hashtag me personally, I hope all of you just pictured MP on roller skates chasing after board day when he doesn't want to be interviewed. <laughs> well, so I'm going to, here's another breaking exclusive scoop. I'm not that fast. I know. Surprise, right? I look like I'm really fleet footed. Uh, <laughs> you know what I do? Um, I just try and walk right up to the person and especially when they're in a group. Uh, I'll usually do it on pit lane where I know that, you know, there's no like easy way to just kind of walk away. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I get frustrated as I have said before, where some folks just for reasons I don't always understand. Maybe they don't like me. Maybe they just don't like the media. I get folks like that who are just like, well, screw you guys. 
in general, you're the, you're the enemy, fake news, you know, that kind of stupid mindset. Um, whatever it is, I, I just never quite get that stuff so much, Ryan. I know that if I were covering baseball, basketball, football, the idea of uh, a player, a coach, someone just ignoring you or not wanting to take your question you see that happen in every press conference because there's a very formidable distance maintained between those big athletes and the media. There's a real wall here. Honestly, again, no wall. We all know each other probably know the name of one another's families or something. It's a really small community. So when I do get the folks who are dodging or, or whatever, you know, part of me just wants to go up and kind of smack them upside the head and go, look, (laughs) this isn't that complicated. This isn't that important, right? It really isn't. I mean, compared to any other sport, no one really this is this isn't high traffic oh my gosh did you see what so-and-so said in our little world maybe but to the greater world you know uh, anyways i love this though uh hoverboard might be the thing roller skates i did roller skate when i was really really young and roller skating rinks were popular so that might be a funny visual but again i would have been like eight years old or something all right, going to get down. Oh, boy, I, I bolded a lot of questions here. Um, Sal D'Amico. Hey, Sal, when is Fontana going to be put back on the schedule as a season finale? I do actually have an answer for you, Sal. Never. Uh, it ain't happening. Uh, unless maybe you and your family want to buy a block of, say, 20,000 tickets. Uh, that would be a great way. Other than that, why would IndyCar go back to a place that it played in front of, what, 3,000 people last time? Among the greatest event failures in the modern history of IndyCar racing. So, I love Fontana. I love to go back. It's never happening. Unless there's some sort of massive financial guarantee that the track will at least break even. Uh, ta 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 Ed Joris, search of a cure for insomnia, I was reading the car rule book and discovered that teams are allowed to adjust the wheelbase. Is this true? And do teams do it? Yes, they do. Uh, it has happened. It does happen. Uh, yes. Let's go to Stitch Turner. Marshall, with the ever-changing environment, concerning future auto development, is it likely that the current engine and chassis combo extends beyond its current plan expiration to allow the auto industry some time to sort itself out. And what kind of effect would this have on attracting new engine manufacturers and teams? That is a well-crafted question, Stitch. Extended, I could see that. As I mentioned a moment ago, I think there's going to be a a multi-stage rollout from what I hear. So, yeah, uh, the current DW12 could indeed, parts and pieces of it, continue until everything gets swapped out. Do I think that would happen in reaction to the auto industry and sorting itself out? No, I think that's just costs and cost management for the team owners. Uh, As I understand, there's nothing changing. 
about the hybrid plans in that introduction for 2022 with the new 2.4 liter motor. So uh, based on every discussion I've had here with Jay Fry and Mark Miles in the last week, despite my urging for some of the things you have mentioned here in your question, uh, no plans for it. Uh, Michael Strack. Sorry, no, this has probably been asked far too many times. Don't worry about it, Michael. Ask anyways. But are there any updates on a third or fourth manufacturer? Are there any additional tracks that they're looking at for the future races? If you haven't, take a listen to our Week in IndyCar guest episode this week with Mark Miles, where he addresses the track side. Uh, No, Uh, I mean, they're not averse to maybe adding one more race right now, but they are really just trying to make the ones they got work better and get more out of them, according to him. Um, Does everybody in the organization share that thought? I can't tell you. Uh, As for third or fourth manufacturer, I don't have any info as to progress, meaning of the many that they are meeting with and talking with, is there one that is at the, boy, just, you know, we think we're a week away from getting a signature. I don't have that level of confidence that we're at that stage yet. But if it's going to happen, oh, boy. So we would really need to have those that manufacturer signed and announced probably... October, November, because team manufacturers are going to need to start designing and cutting metal and getting things moving uh, right around the new year and start testing and developing and so on private, you know, on their own on the dyno and then aim to hit the track mid to late summer, uh, you know, August, September, something like that. Do demo laps maybe at the season finale in September, if we assuming that it's still September, and get ready for you know doing a full off season of proper testing with their with however many manufacturers teams uh, leading into 2022. So just timing wise, although this motor is going to race for the first time early in 2022, you really would need to get a third manufacturer signed and announced and them down the path. Uh, here before the end of the year. All right. How many questions do we have left? About four. I'm going to go back to Ed Joris. Uh, Another in a series of damper expense questions. I assume Magneto rheological dampers are verboten in IndyCar. What if their use was required and teams were allowed to adjust the settings? Would an electronic damper program be cheaper than the current physical programs? Oh, uh, JJ Gertler. Hey, JJ. <laughs> I just laugh when you I see your name because you make me laugh. Uh, speaking of IndyCar movies, is Jimmy Vassar's partner, James Sully Sullivan, the same James Sully Sullivan who appeared in Monsters, Inc., opposite of Mike Wazowski and sounded a whole, like, like, a whole lot like John Goodman? Is he, for example, blue and furry? Yet another well-spotted item from an IndyCar fan. Uh, indeed, absolutely indeed, he is. Uh, he's just, he's cuddly. Big and cuddly, but cuddly nonetheless. And a good worker. Very, very good worker. Let's see. What do we have left? Uh, we're going to, we're going to, what are we going to do? Going to go to a 
Mark J. Cardella. Sorry, waiting so long to get your question here, Mark. I should have gotten to this sooner. And as a question submitter of, of some considerable repute, have you considered inviting Sylvester Stallone onto the show to get his insights on the production of Driven? which I believe was originally planned as an F1 story, including his development of the Joe Tonto character and whether he follows IndyCar today. Have I considered it, Mark? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm actively trying to find out how to get in contact with him. Uh, I have reached out. The first thing I've done, though, was try to get a hold of Jimmy Bly. Uh, yes, the Jimmy Bly from Driven, uh, we would say, a.k.a. the real person, Kit Pardue. So, looking for Kip's contact information, happened to do a bit of Googling and found the name of a lawyer who represents him. And so I was like, oh, that's great. Unfortunately, the lawyer's name was mentioned in an article about two years ago where Kip, a.k.a. Driven's Jimmy Bly, uh, was smack dab in the middle of the most Me Too-ish of me, hashtag Me Too items where an actress uh, accused him of doing some pretty disgusting things on a movie set, and I believe more than once. And, yeah, so... I still, I guess, which maybe this says something about me, went ahead with trying to contact him, did successfully contact his lawyer, and knowing that even though we're talking a Kip Pardue, who probably many of you are saying who, uh, is not exactly a household name, uh, most folks tend to try and put up a bit of a contact wall. And so his lawyer, as I expected, said, Thanks for your request. Got it. I'll forward your request and contact info on to Kip. And that was three, four days ago, and I've heard nothing back. So will I? I don't know. But I do have a great desire to speak with Kip and Sylvester Stallone. I worked with somebody in IndyCar uh, in 2001 who helped build Many of the the movie scene indie cars, not the real indie cars, but the the fake, passable, almost kind of indie cars, and know a few other people as well. So I do want to put together something. So gonna try and do that for sure. Uh, here, Mark, and you know what? I am going to say thank you, and thank you to you all. For a bunch of great questions. I know I did not get to all of them. I think I got to the absolute vast majority. And if I didn't get to the one you wanted me to answer, please send it again. And I will try and get to it next week. Also, I'm guessing, depending on what might happen with viruses. And if the St. Pete Grand Prix goes forward, we're probably going to have a lot of stuff to talk about. But nonetheless, I'm going to look forward to speaking with you all here in about a week and thank you once more to cooper tires the justice brothers torontomotorsports.com and bell racing helmets usa farewell to this episode at 12 38 a.m 
on a Thursday. I am Marshall Pruitt, and this was your Unpolished Turd.